Well, every year, right after Easter, we do a verse-by-verse teaching through the book of Acts. Uh, We've been doing this for like four or five years, and we're in the 16th chapter. And so I'm excited about starting a brand new study once again in the book of Acts. Uh, So, out of respect for God's Word, stand to your feet. Acts chapter 16. Uh, In a moment, we're going to begin reading with verse 1, but today's Blue Sunday. And it's time, it's, it's an it's a opportunity for churches throughout our country to remember children who are being abused. And it's so important. Uh, you know, approximately five children every, die, every day die because of child abuse. Five kids a day, that's unacceptable. One out of every three little girls by the time they're 18 will, be, will have been sexually abused. One out of five little boys by the time they're 18 will have been sexually abused. of the perpetrators and and abusers of children are known by those children. It's unacceptable. So may all of us be diligent and be advocates on behalf of children, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And for those of you that work with Child Protective Services, those of you that are advocates for kids in in your career, in your volunteer work, I want to salute you. And I want to say thank you for your sacrifice and for your dedication. We can never let these statistics stand. We must do everything in our power to change that. Children are a heritage from the Lord, and they deserve our love, support, and protection. Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. Paul went first to Derbe and then to Lystra, where there was a young disciple named Timothy, His mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek. Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium, so Paul wanted him to join on their journey. In deference to the Jews of the area, he arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left, for everyone knew that his father was a Greek. Then they went from town to town instructing the believers to follow the decisions made by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in their faith and grew larger every day. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the privilege that we have to study Scripture. Now, I thank you that your word is going to speak to every heart and every life, those within the sound of my voice, those that are live streaming this service, God. Thank you that you're reaching out and touching us at the core of our being through your word by the power of your spirit. Thank you for all of our children advocates. Thank you for all the men and women who work, serve, and volunteer to help children in any way and to be their protectors. We pray for your protection over the children of our nation and the world today on Blue Sunday in Jesus' name. And everyone said, You may be seated. Do you have a spiritual heir? Do you have a successor? Do you have someone that you are mentoring, someone that you will pass the baton to when your life expires, when you finish your race? Who will be the person you'll be handing off the blessing of God that you inherited, that you're to pass on to that next generation? Is it a son? Is it a daughter? Is it a young person? Is it, is it someone that you are mentoring? All of us need to have a spiritual heir. This, fir- this 16th chapter of the book of Acts, and these first few verses that we are studying this weekend here at Trinity, 
we understand that the greatest Christian that ever lived, the greatest apostle, the greatest minister of the gospel that ever lived was the apostle Paul. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And in these few verses, Paul selects a young man by the name of Timothy who became his spiritual heir. Matter of fact, Paul, in the latter years of his life, he wrote two letters to young Timothy, giving Timothy encouragement and admonition and instruction about the ministry that the Lord had called Timothy to. And Timothy was so privileged and blessed to be under the tutelage, under the mentorship of the Apostle Paul. It was a beautiful relationship that was initiated that started here in the 16th chapter of the book of Acts on Paul's second missionary journey. He finds this young man and he brings him aboard to be a part of his ministry team. They formed such a bond and such a relationship, it was like a father-son relationship. Absolutely remarkable. I remember hearing a quote from a, a great, great man of God who's gone on to be with the Lord and, and is enjoying his reward now. He was the one that God used to start the modern-day men's movement. His name was Dr. Edwin Lewis Cole. And he made this statement decades ago. You're not a success until you produce a successor. That's one of the great leadership lessons I learned from a great leader, Ed Cole. You're not a success till you produce a successor. I so believed in that in my former life, in my former church, when I was a singles pastor, and before I even became a singles pastor, when I was just a volunteer leader of a home fellowship that you cannot quit leading that fellowship until you have produced an heir, till you've produced a successor, someone to hand the baton back to. And so all of life, I've tried to live that way. You're not a success till you produce a successor. You should never vacate a position until you, if within your power, all things being equal, within your power, you're able to help find the person that's to take your place. Matter of fact, the former church I came out of, I was uh, slated to be the next senior pastor. The founding pastor was going to go into full-time missionary work, and uh, he, he asked if I would take the church over. And I prayed, and I thought, absolutely, I believe this is God, but God had other plans for the Toady family. And, and I remember walking in to tell him that I had accepted the position here at Trinity Church and that I would not be able to, to, to be the senior pastor of my former church. And he said, well, you know, what am I going to do? I, I'm planning to, to uh, you know, resign the church. And I said, call my friend Steve Smotherman. He's pastoring in Roswell, New Mexico. And he called him that same day. And three months later, uh, Pastor Steve Smotherman was installed and now is the pastor of the great legacy church there in, in Albuquerque. You're not a success until you produce a successor. Ambrose Bierce, he lived in 1842 to 1914. He was a journalist. He was a poet. He was a Civil War veteran. And he, he, he wrote a uh, satirical dictionary a humorous dictionary, and he gives definitions of English words in a humorous way. And look at how he defines the word kill, to create a vacancy without nominating a successor. You kill your positions in life. You, you kill your job, your career, your ministry, your office, your stewardship, that which God has entrusted to you if you vacate without nominating a successor. 
You're not a success till you produce a successor. Who is the next generation behind you that you are intentionally helping to mentor and to bring along? This is what Paul was beginning to do in this chapter with a young disciple, with a young believer by the name of Timothy. There's an old African story about a band of elephants gleefully traversing the landscape when they abruptly come to a raging river. And the, the big, older, experienced elephants had no problem whatsoever crossing that raging river. They made it over to the other side. Some of the, the young, bold, and confident elephants also followed behind in their lead with no problem. But the older elephants and the very small elephants were fearful and were unable to cross that raging river. And so one called out to the other. And those older, wise elephants, they're, some of the, they're the biggest land creatures God's created, and they are quite brilliant, actually. They entered back into the river, and they formed a column, a barrier, to block and slow down the waters, which allowed the old, feeble, and the very young to cross over the raging waters. You and I need to make sure we have crossed the raging waters of culture, and maybe we're doing that and we've done it successfully, but we have to remember those who are coming behind us, those who are older, those who may be weaker, and those who are younger, and we, the older big elephants, need to be, are you calling me an older big elephant? If the shoe fits, darling, that's all I can say. We need to be willing to traverse back into the river, form a column so that we can allow the older and the weak and the younger to traverse the raging waters of postmodern, the postmodern world, the 21st century that we find ourselves living in. This is what Paul is doing here in the 16th chapter of the book of Acts. He is this older, wise, strong elephant that has endured stonings and beatings and whippings and imprisonments for the advancement of the gospel. But he knows that his time is limited and his time is short. He needs to find a successor. He cannot vacate his office until he has nominated one to fill that office. And that young man that he saw a, a, a promising potential in was Timothy, who's introduced to us here in Acts chapter 16. So who's your Timothy? Or who's your Timberly? Who is the person that you intentionally are mentoring, whether as an educator, the children, whether in youth ministry or, or children's ministry? All of us need to be a part of allowing our life to reach out and to help that next generation that's coming up behind us. So let's talk about Timothy. Let's look at Timothy's situation. What was the situation that Timothy found himself in? Timothy was in a favorable situation. You know why Timothy was in a favorable situation to such an extent that the greatest Christian that's ever lived, the greatest minister that's ever walked the face of the earth, selected him and chose him to be a part of his ministry team? You want to know why Timothy was set up for success? Well, look at what the Apostle Paul says about Timothy in his second letter to Timothy, chapter 1 and verse 5. I remember your genuine faith. For you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I know that same faith continues strong in you. You see, for Timothy, half the battles of life were won for him because he had a godly grandmother 
and because he had a godly mother. Here's what we, here's what we, hold on to that applause. You're going to want to hear in just a second. Here's what we know about Timothy. His father was a Greek. What does that mean? He was a heathen. He was not a believer yet. But that's okay, because what negates a father who's not serious about serving Jesus is a mother and a grandmother that is serious about serving Jesus, because all great men and women that have ever accomplished anything great for the kingdom of God, they all have one thing in common, a godly mother or a godly grandmother. And if you've had a godly mother and a godly grandmother, you are truly blessed. And that's what Timothy had. He had a genuine faith because it was a generational faith. It was a faith that lived first in his grandmother, and then that faith was transferred into his mother, and then they made sure that that faith was transferred into their young son, Timothy, because God's a generational God. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham had a relationship with God, then his son Isaac had a relationship with God, and then his grandson Jacob had a relationship with God. It is your responsibility to make sure that your faith lives to the third generation, And if each person commits to their faith being transferred, their faith living on to the third generation, then your faith will be blessed to the thousandth generation because God in the book of Genesis wants you and your generations that come after you to be blessed to the thousandth generation. So we need to make sure the faith is real in us, that that faith is real in our children, and that that faith is real in our grandchildren. And it all begins with a godly grandmother and a godly mother. Origen, who was a Christian scholar, one of the early church fathers, 185 to 254 A.D., he conjectured, and it's just conjecture, that Lois and Eunice were relatives of St. Paul. We don't know that for certain. Some even suspect that Lois and Eunice were converts of the Apostle Paul's early ministry. We don't know that for sure. But we do know they were Jews They were now Messianic Jews. They were Jews who believed in Yeshua HaMashiach, that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. And they took their faith so seriously that even though Timothy's dad was a heathen, a Greek, they poured that faith into Timothy. And Timothy possessed that faith. And it wasn't faith that, that, it wasn't leaning faith. It was his own faith that, thank God, he inherited from his grandmother and from his mother. Single men. Listen to me. One of the most important questions you can ask yourself, two of the most important questions you can ask yourself concerning the woman you're about to marry or the woman you will one day marry, you have to ask yourself, will she be a godly mother to our children? And when the time comes, will she be a godly grandmother to my grandchildren? If you can answer yes to both those questions, put that ring on her finger as fast as you can. Don't let her get away. (laughs) amen if you're not going to amen me all amen amen pastor carl you're (laughs) preaching now thank you thank you very much (laughs) this was timothy's situation what's your situation maybe you didn't have the benefit of a godly grandmother i didn't and i love my grandmothers maybe you didn't have the benefit of of a godly mother and i love my mother and growing up she wasn't a godly mother initially that's okay she was a good mother but wasn't a godly mother and there's a difference I wanted to make sure what I didn't have, I wanted my sons to have. 
So thank God I married a woman who's been a godly mother, and when the time comes, she'll be a godly grandmother, and I hope to be a godly grandfather. And so if you've got a godly grandmother and a godly grandfather and godly kids, you can almost guarantee you're going to have godly grandchildren, and you're passing on your faith to the third generation. That's the responsibility of every Christian. It's interesting. Godly mothers always make up for godless fathers. I don't know how that is, because you need godly fathers. You need men that are godly men. A lot of times that's not the case, but that's okay. A godly mom can make up for an ungodly father, and Timothy is proof of that. That was Timothy's situation. Let's talk about Timothy's spirit. Let's talk about his spirit. You know, sometimes we ask people, how are your spirits right now? You know, how, how are you doing? You may be facing something difficult. Uh, are your spirits up or are your spirits down? I, I believe, as the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, the spirit of a man is the candle of the Lord. When we talk about how's your spirit, we're talking about how's your character. It says this in verse 2 of Acts 16 about Timothy. Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium, and he was a very young man, perhaps even a teenager, definitely a young adult. And yet he was spoken well of by the believers. Why? He had character. There was a spirit about Timothy. He possessed Godly character. Heraclitus said long, long ago, he said, character is destiny. Say that with me. Character is destiny. Say it again. Character is destiny. And what is character? Character, if you go back to the root word, it comes from an ancient Greek, and it, it, it refers to an engraving or the stamping of an instrument that is engraved on something. All of us have been stamped, engraved in the image and likeness of God. All of us have within us the character of God. The world, the flesh, and the devil does everything in their powers to mar, to, to corrupt, to violate, to, to stain the character of God in us, but it's in there. And your character is what's going to make you or what's going to break you in life. So what is, what is character? Well, character, they say, has three components. Just like water has three components, H, 2, O, uh, so does character. It has three components. And the first is genetics. Your character is something that you, in a large part, you inherited from your, your family line. Some people are born with a predisposition to be greedy, to be selfish. That's something that's inherited. Matter of fact, psychoanalyst Melanie Klein, she studied infants. She believed that the greedy and graspy type of child came into the world predispo predisposed towards this character trait. That's why the Bible says, train up a child in the way they should go when they're older, not the part. Because all kids have a bent, a bent towards some uh, disruptive behavior or maybe even evil behavior. And through prayer and the Word of God and, and godly upbringing and godly training, you can, you can redirect that bent towards a certain predisposition. Uh, think of uh, Jacob and Esau. They were twins. And when they were, when they were born, when they were born, when Rachel was giving birth to him, Esau was the firstborn. When he came out of the womb, his brother Jacob had hold of his heel. <laughs> he was already grasping for things. That proved to be true as he grew and until he had a wrestling match with God and God changed his character. His name was Jacob, which means deceiver and supplanter, and his name was changed to Israel, which means prince with God. 
So your character, first of all, first component is genetics. The second comes from the earliest years of your life, from the birth to about five years of age, uh, where you're imprinted by a parent or a primary caregiver. That's why the first few years of that child's development are critical, are crucial. And they need that love and care, and they need the ministry of Jesus early on. And then the third component of your character is based on your habits and the experiences that you repeat over and over and over again. So listen, you could be born in this world with two strikes against your character. Genetically, maybe uh, you, you have a bad family tree. How many know with Jesus, you can, you can grow a brand new branch on that family tree, amen? You can break the curse and you can start a blessing for future generations. So you may have bad genes, spiritually speaking. You, you, might, you might have had a difficult upbringing, but you can still alter your character and become the man of destiny and the woman of destiny that God's called you to be if you will alter your habits and you will begin to change your experiences in, in life by making better choices and decisions. They say thoughts turn into actions, actions translate into habits, and habits forge character. Want to change your character? Change your habits. Want to change your habits? Change your actions. Want to change your actions? Change your thinking. Character is destiny. You have to alter your character if you want to alter your destiny. So let me give you a life hack. If you'll create new mini-habits, Somebody wrote a book on this. If you'll create new mini-habits, you can produce maximum results in your life because habits forge character. And character is what will sustain you through the challenging, difficult, raging rivers of life you're going to have to cross, character. So habits forge character. So what's a habit? Um, it's an outfit that a nun wears. That's the first definition. A habit is an action that you perform with repeated consistency with little to no effort, like brushing your teeth. If you'll start new mini habits, get this, you can upgrade your life. Listen, happy people live by established good habits in their life. Let me say that again. Happy people, turn to your neighbor and say, are you a happy person? If they don't have an answer, let, let's stop right there and just have a moment. <laughs> See, happy people, you know why they're happy? Because they, they have the right habits that they've instilled in their life. Unhappy people have consistently bad habits. So if you want to change your life, you want to upgrade your life, you've got to change your habits. Start with many habits. Like let's say, let's say for example, you, you want to get in shape. Let's say you want to be like Herschel Walker, right? He, he does 1,500 push-ups every day and 1,500 sit-ups every day. Growing up as a kid, he still looks like a beast, right? Growing up as a kid, I, I want to be like Herschel Walker. And, and then I found out he did 1,500 push-ups. I said, I don't think I want to be like Herschel Walker. <laughs> okay? Now, if you wanted to be like Herschel Walker and do 1,500 push-ups a day, you can't go from one day doing none, the next day, I'm going to do 1,500. You'll die. But you know what? You can do one push-up. Mini habit. Wake up every day and say, you know what? I'm going to do one push-up. And you do that one push-up every day. Get up, one push-up. Hey, I did it. Yeah, great. Next thing you know, you'll be like, you know what, I'm bored doing just one push-up. I'm going to do five. And then you'll start doing five every day, five push-ups, five push-ups. Like, this is easy. 
this is easy. I'm going to start doing 10. And then you start doing 10 every day, every day. And you're like, wow. I, did. I remember when I first started, I couldn't even do one barely. Now I'm doing 10. This is, okay, I'm going to go up to 20. Next thing you know, you'll be at 100 every day. You didn't start at 100. You started with a baby step. You started with one push-up, a mini habit. What's a new mini habit that you can begin to perform in your life starting tomorrow that can make a world of difference down the road? We're talking about character. We're talking about how is your spirit, how is your life, actions lead, thoughts lead to actions, actions to habit, and habit develops or forges character. And if you want to sustain greatness and achieve God's best in your life, you're going to have to have the character to be able to endure it. And the beginning of building that character starts today. <laughs> Timothy's situation, Timothy's spirit. Number three, Timothy's selection. He was chosen. You're chosen. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. God set you apart in your mother's womb. Whether you've discovered your purpose in life yet or not, you will. For Scripture promises us, God says, if you will seek me, you will find me. If you seek me with all of your heart, and if you call unto me, I will answer you, and I will show you great and mighty things which you know not. But you and I have got to be willing to seek the Lord wholeheartedly. Because he has chosen you. He has selected you. Even as Paul selected Timothy. Once again, verses 2 and 3 of Acts 16. Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra because he had character. He had a good spirit about him. And Iconium. So Paul wanted him to join on their journey. Wow. To be chosen by the greatest Christian that's ever lived, the greatest apostolic ministry the earth, the world has ever seen, to be that Timothy, the one that Paul said, I want you to be a part of my ministry team. He was picked as a young man. He was a teenager, perhaps definitely a young adult, a young adult when Paul took him under his wing to mentor him. In 1 Timothy 4.12, it's a famous verse in the Bible, Paul tells young Timothy, let no man despise you because of your youth, but be an example to believers in word, conversation, charity, spirit, faith, and in purity. So he was a young man selected by the apostle Paul to be mentored by Paul because Paul knew he was going to have to pass the baton. You kill something if you create a vacancy without nominating a successor. You're not a success until you produce a successor. Who is your spiritual heir? Timothy became Paul's spiritual heir. And what's so beautiful is that their relationship developed like a father-son relationship. The next thing I want to share with you is Timothy's selflessness. His, his situation, his spirit, his selection, and this young man's selflessness. Look at verse 3 of Acts 16. So Paul wanted him to join on their journey in deference to the Jews of the area because Paul was ministering to Jews who were not Christians yet. And Paul said, we become all things to all men that by so doing we might win some to Christ. To the Jew, I'm a Jew. To a Greek, I'm a Greek. He would become all things to all men without compromising principle or the commandments of God, nothing immoral, illegal, or illicit. But he would change his methodology. He would change his approach. He would change his sermons. He preached one sermon on Mars Hill and never quoted a single scripture, yet preached to the pagans on, on Mars Hill there in Athens. 
the gospel without ever using one scripture because he knew his audience. So Paul, in deference to the Jews of that area, arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left for everyone knew that his father was a Greek or a heathen. And the Jews despised the Greeks. The Jews would have nothing to do with Greeks. As a matter of fact, Timothy was at a disadvantage because he was biracial. And it was a very sticky thing in Paul's day. He was Jewish by his mother. He was Greek by his father. And because he was biracial, he was rejected by the Jews, for he was not fully Jew. He was rejected by the Greeks because he was not fully Greek. But isn't it interesting? (laughs) We're always accepted by God the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. Amen. And by Paul, of all people, Paul saw what was in Timothy. He said, but listen, Timothy, we're going to the Jews, and we don't want to be an offense to them. So here's what I need you to do. Tomorrow morning, go to HR. I want you to pick up your employee manual. I want you to read it and sign it. Get your ID, your ID card, right? Because you can't go back in the children's church area unless you've been cleared. So you got to have that ID card. And then I I set up a 9 a.m. appointment at the local doctor for a cutting. He's like, a haircut? No, a different kind of cutting. (laughs) It's called circumcision. He's like, what? I didn't sign up for this. But that wasn't his attitude. His attitude was, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll do whatever it takes to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ amongst the Jews. And if me not being circumcised would be, an, an, would be offensive to the Jews, where's the doctor? Sign me up. You know, it's one thing being circumcised when you're eight days old. It's another when you're like in your 20s or teens. But Timothy was willing to do that. You know, when I went to Bible school way back in the 80s, you know, mullets, the mullets were popular back then, you know. And uh, I remember there were guys that threw fits because the school we attended, they required all the men to cut their hair collar length. And there were guys like were throwing fits and I don't want to be a part of this school. I'm like, really guys? Do you worship your hairdo? I mean, in the military, you got to shave it all off. They're not even asking us to shave it all off. They're just saying, cut it, shoulder, and then when you graduate, if you want to grow it long again, go for it. But come on, guys, it's just cutting your hair. Here, Timothy was willing to cut more than his hair so that he could advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was the selflessness of the spirit of this young man. Amen. Matter of fact, Paul was writing a letter to the church at Philippi, and the Philippians were, it's one of the churches in the Bible that had really low dysfunction. There were high dysfunctional churches, and the church of Philippi, they pretty much had their act together, except in a few areas they were very selfish, and there was competition going on in the church, competitiveness. So Paul hit it, you know, he hit it head on. And he begins chapter 2 of Philippians, and he says, you should have the same attitude as that of Jesus Christ, who even though he was equal with God, did not consider his equality with God something that he had to hold on to. And it talks about the kenosis of Christ, it's a theological term, which means Jesus emptied himself, not of his divinity or deity, but emptied himself of his kingly privileges and rights, and he humbled himself and became a man, and became a servant. He was willing to humble it, because leadership is about humility. So he uses Jesus as an example, and then he uses this young man, Timothy. Look at verse uh, 19 of Philippians 2. If the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you as soon for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you are, are getting along. I have no one else like Timothy 
who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. But you know how Timothy has proved himself like a son with his father. He has served with me in preaching the good news. Why was Timothy so valuable to the early church? Why was Timothy so valuable to the apostle Paul? Because he had a selflessness about him. He put the needs of others before his own needs, and those are the type of people God is looking for to use in these last days. We need to jump back into the raging river. We need to be willing to form a column to allow that next generation to pass over. Maybe we need to to endure loud music even though we don't like loud music. Maybe we need to endure lights because maybe we don't like lights. And if you don't, go to our classic service. Amen. We've got something for everyone here at Trinity Church. You know, uh, uh, some of the older people don't like people with tattoos. Uh, uh, Well, maybe you need to get a tattoo if you want to reach that next year. I don't know. Whatever it takes. Maybe some people don't like long hair, then grow short hair. Some people don't like short hair, grow long hair. I mean, we become all things to all people that in so do we might win some to Jesus Christ. And if it doesn't work for you, it might work for somebody else. What we care about is reaching people for Jesus. Whew, I got that on my chest. Whew, that felt good. <laughs> Timothy's situation, Timothy's spirit, Timothy's selection, Timothy's selflessness. What we basically need more of in the body of Christ is not what's in it for me and what do I like and what do I don't like. What does Jesus like? We need to be concerned about the lost people in our community, in our nation, and in the world. And we we need to be willing to be a little uncomfortable. The message is sacred. You never alter. You never water down. You never modify the message. But the methods are not sacred. You know, some guys, some guys in California, they started they started preaching with no socks on. I don't never, I'll never preach with no socks on, okay? But some guys in California, it's Southern California. I, some guys are preaching in shorts nowadays. A Hawaiian shirt, and I will never preach in a Hawaiian, because I'm in West Texas, hallelujah. I got my boots on, amen today, praise God, okay? I, I know my crowd. I, I, I know who we're trying to reach in West Texas. But you and I have to be willing to make whatever adjustments necessary and not get offended because it's not about you you can cross the river you've crossed the river you you know the, the the joy and the ecstasy of loving and serving jesus but there's a lost generation out there and we need to reach them for christ we can't be selfish and we're not i believe god has blessed trinity church it's uh, 56 years old started 1963 that's what the letters of incorporation the date that it shows when this church officially started We've always tried to be relevant in our community, to let all people feel as though they're welcome here. We're a generational church. That's what's so awesome. Sometimes we have four to five generations in a given service. Great-granddad, granddad, you know, granddad, and then the sons, or great-grandmother, grandmother, you know. A generational, a generational church. And we want to be committed to the Timothy generation. The Pauls, we are like a Paul church because we're an older church. We want to be intentional to reach the young people, to go back into the river, form a column together. It's okay to be a little uncomfortable. I don't know about that style of worship. I don't know about, you know, that, this, or that, or, or, you know, maybe the lights, or whatever, whatever. We got to be willing, like Timothy, to put 
the needs of the lost that we're trying to reach without compromising the message, without compromising the holy commandments of God. Don't, please don't read, listen into this message. But to make the necessary adjustments because we want to pass the baton to that next generation. There'll be a time, there'll be a day when I'm no longer the senior pastor of Trinity Church. The next generation, that next leader. And we want to make sure that we pass the baton as pastors, as elders, as members so that the church of Jesus and the ministry of Trinity Church continues to thrive and grow and bring life and blessing to our community until Jesus calls us home or until Jesus comes to take us home. Amen. <clears throat> Two final thoughts. There was a decree that was given, and I want to talk to you about the significance of the decree. In verse 4 of Acts, it says, and as they went through the cities, Paul and Timothy and his ministry team, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. That refers to what we studied a year ago in Acts 15. They said, okay, okay, uh, here's the decision that the elders came to in Acts 15. Okay, you don't, you, 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 you heathens, <laughs> you Gentiles, you, you Greeks, you Scythians, you barbarians, you non-Jewish people. Okay, you don't have to become a Jew to become a Christian. You can go from being a heathen to being a Christian. You don't have to go through all the ceremonies and circumcision and all of that. They, they came to that determination, but they said this, stay sexually pure, no sex out of a monogamous married relationship between one man, one woman. No sex. The only sex that God sanctions, because God created sex, is between one man, one woman, in the holy bonds of matrimony in a covenant called marriage. He's, so they said, no fornicating, no drinking of blood offered to idols, no eating of meat sacrificed to idols. The word decree means dogma. The church of Jesus Christ has certain dogmas or doctrines, spiritual rules, holy laws that we live by. Paul lists them in great detail in Galatians 5. talks about the works of the flesh, and I believe he mentions like 19 or 20-something manifestations of the flesh. Lying, cheating, envy, strife. And no, no one's perfect. But we all consent and we all agree and we all pledge loyalty, devotion, and allegiance to Jesus Christ, His holy commandments, and His holy teachings. And even though we may struggle with sin, fall short from time to time, we're committed to the standards of God. And here's what happens. There is success that's the result of following those decrees. Look at verse 5. Let's read this verse out loud together. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. God wants every Christ-centered, biblically-based, spirit-led church in our city, our nation, our state, our nation, and the world. He wants the believers to be strengthened in their faith, and he wants our numbers to increase daily. This is God's will. And when we are committed to that next generation of Timothys, when we are willing to go back into the raging waters and form a column to allow the very young or the weak and sickly to cross over, when we are willing to find and develop our spiritual heirs and will follow the decrees, the doctrines, the holy commands of Scripture, 
then God will visit us, our faith will be strong, and our numbers will increase because it's about reaching as many people with, for the gospel of Jesus Christ that we possibly can until our time expires in this world. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father God, thank you for the privilege of studying the Bible. We covered a lot today in a short time. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for speaking specifically to the hearts of men and women. What is it that you're saying to us, to me today, that I need to take to heart and follow wholeheartedly? Help me, Holy Spirit, to live out the truth that's been entrusted to me today. Now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you have never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. He loves you. He died for you. He's calling you into relationship with Him. You must be born again. And if you will be, heaven will be your eternal home. And there are some of you in here today and you need to rededicate your life to Christ. I want to pray for you. The Bible says if you'll confess your sin, He's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer out loud with the rest of us but I want you to say it with your own mouth mean it from your own heart here we go dear God in heaven I know I'm a sinner in need of a Savior there's only one Savior his name is Jesus I call upon you Jesus I ask you now come into my heart come into my life be my Lord and be my Savior I turn from sin to the true and living God I receive his love, his grace, and his forgiveness. Dear God in heaven, you're now my father, and I am your child. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit and give me strength to live for you and serve you all the days of my life, beginning today for the rest of eternity. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Can we thank the Lord together, church family? <clears throat>